Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, hey, this episode is one I have been excited about for a long time, and in it, we talk about the looming issue in the United States of electrification, but the perspective in this episode is different than what I normally hear about from our industry, and I think it's a perspective that we need to think about. So in today's episode, I interview Jean-Francois from Koval Distribution up in Canada, and I met JF and his partner, Vincent, I think two years ago at the HPB Expo, and then me and Vincent were actually able to hang out last year in New Brunswick, Canada when I was up there for a speaking event that I had. And I have been really, really impressed with the way that these guys go to market with how they're focused on giving value to the customers that they serve, and also how they have adapted to what the market has given them. And in this conversation today in particular, we're going to talk to Jean-Francois about electrification because where they live in Quebec, electrification happened decades earlier, back in the 80s. And from talking to him, he actually believes that their business has come out stronger on the other side than before. And so in this conversation, really, I go in as a learner to just ask questions and think And I think that there is a lot here that we can take away as we approach this in the United States. So I definitely have some thoughts on the back end to share. But in the meantime, I'll step out of the way so you can hear this conversation on electrification. Joining me from Varennes, Quebec is Jean-Francois Fatou. How do you pronounce that? It's fauteuil, but that was close enough. All Good right, job. Perfect. I'm joined by Jean-Francois, who is the president of Koval Distribution. And I am I'm feeling just ashamed at my lack of ability to pronounce French words as an arrogant American. But thank you for being here today. Uh, thank you. And your French is very good. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, I, you can laugh at, at all my uh, accent and French when I speak in English afterward. <laughs> well, you speak very good English. Uh JF, I'm really thankful to have you here, and I want to unpack a little bit of the story of how this got here. So over the last year or so, we've had a number of podcasts and and articles and things through the Firetime Podcast and Magazine about the growing pressure of electrification in the United States. And you, you wrote me an email and had a really insightful comment about how where you're at in Quebec, you're kind of on the other side of electrification, and it actually hasn't been a death sentence for the hearth industry. And I thought that this really warranted a conversation. I feel like I'm coming to this to learn and to see, man, where do where do I need to maybe rethink my perspective or, or understand the nuance of this situation? So with that, I guess, could you talk a little bit about the journey of electrification Quebec has gone through? Uh, yes. Um, thank you, Tim. Um, 
Let me give you a little bit of perspective. Quebec, we have a very different point of view about the situation because electrification is something that happened in the 80s. So it's been part of our, our culture since quite a while. The electric company here is called Hydro-Quebec. There's only one. It's a monopoly. It's been nationalized in the, in the 40s. And during the oil crisis of the early 80s, there's been a big, big push from the government to electrify everyone, uh, because prior to that, people were heating their house uh, mostly with oil. Um, so uh, in the 80s, almost everyone, every suburb, every farmhouse uh, end up with electricity and everyone heat and cook with electricity since then. So I'm 50 right now. People of my generation and younger we never knew a time where people didn't have electric eating in their house. And, and it's been so popular that there's very little gas in Quebec. Actually, when in, in our industry in hard, when we sell a propane appliance, when we sell gas appliance, mostly propane, 85% of the time, because there's very little gas in, in Quebec. Uh, not only there's electricity everywhere, but because it's been nationalized, it's heavily subsidized and it's very cheap. It's one of the cheapest place in the world to get electricity. We're paying like seven to eight cents a kilowatt and that's Canadian dollar. So it's really cheap. Wow. So there's, there's so many questions that I want to ask about, but you know, I feel like this perspective is just interesting because like you said, your entire existence has grown up with just electrification being a thing. And in the United States, there's a lot of talk. And what are we going to do about this? And I guess, could you talk about the Hearth Association that you're a part of in Quebec, and how you guys see the electrification issue? Again, the language is different, because we don't talk about an electrification issue. Electrification has been done many years ago, and it's not an issue. Our hard business is, is thriving. It's very, very good. And we see ourselves as a solution to the problem that uh, electricity is, uh, it's a good technology, but there's a lot of flaws to it. For example, uh, resilience. We had an ice storm. Uh, high wind could break the line and you can have a power outage. You, you'll never have a power outage of gas to heat your home. But electricity, you do. So you need a backup system. And that's what we do. And then electricity is a very dry heat uh, because the, the cheapest way to eat house uh, with electricity is with an electric plant, which definitely do not provide the same level of comfort than, than gas or wood burning or pellet unit. Uh, so there's a question of comfort, of design, of reliance. And now we're talking about even more electrification with electric car, with achieving the new carbon emission. We're going to need to have even more electricity in the house and consume even more electricity. And now the government is telling that we're going to need to increase our capacity of producing electricity by 50%. So, so it's huge. It's humongous. And where is their problem? It's when there's a peak. They think that they're going to be out of electricity at certain moment, at certain peak. And when are those peak? When it's very cold during winter time, when people got home. And this is where we're partnering and we have a solution. So heart always have been a big part of the solution to make electrification happen, even though we're not talking about it because it's so obvious for us. We build a business around it without 
talking about the electrification issue. Never was an issue. It was an opportunity. Yeah, it, it's so funny that you say that. Like our products really are perfectly positioned to solve the problem that electricity does present. This is what I'm curious of. So again, electrification happened back in the 80s where you're at. Do you have like advocacy groups that are going after wood burning or going after pellet or is that not as much of a thing in Quebec? Yeah, we, we do have that problem. Uh, mostly group that are uh, for health reason going after air quality. Yeah. Uh, Montreal is famous for banning wood stove in 2009. And a few years after they went back and now they allow wood stove below 2.5 gram per hour. But a lot of people still think it's banned in Montreal. But it's mostly an urban problem of smog. Uh, when everyone come at 5 p.m. from their work and start their yeah. wood stove at the same time in a very densified area. So it's definitely not related to electricity or energy in, a, in any way. It's a, it's more a health issue. Yeah. I, I think that one of the things in the U.S. that is tough is that very often we as an industry have positioned ourselves against electrification. And we've said, nope, electrification's bad. We need freedom to choose our fuels. And and really, that that is actively going against the narrative of much of American society. And I, I felt like we need to position ourselves as part of the solution if there's, if there's any chance of, of our products making it through. And I love what you said about offering a, a solution. And very often, I guess, in the American side of the industry, there's a portion of people that deny climate change entirely, despite, you know, pretty overwhelming scientific evidence that we really have about 10, 15 years to make some pretty serious changes before there's going to be some big ramifications. Or we kind of just put our heads in the ground and say, well, I don't know, someone else will probably figure it out. And I guess for me, I want to walk this path of believing that there is absolutely a climate crisis on our hands that we do need to take action on. And at the same time as that, you know, trying to see where our products can be part of the solution, because there, there's actually a lot of research done, you know, to get America to carbon neutrality, that a, a mixed fuel portfolio is actually a pretty wise way to do that. So, so all that to say, I'm trying to figure out how to navigate this, this middle ground of not wanting to take either extreme. And I guess I would just ask you, like, how would you navigate that if you were in America right now running a hearth business or, or as a hearth manufacturer? Uh, it's a very good question. Um, it's a huge debate you have in the American society. And too often those debates are, are political and, and we forget the reason why we're even started debating about it. Um, so if you take a step back, and you say, okay, there is a climate crisis. We need to do something. And the large scale solution are not a solution that can happen fast. Uh, even if you say, we're going to do electrification. I want to electrify New York tomorrow. What you're going to do? Uh, you're going to build a dam. You're going to build a, a nuclear plant. What, what, how long it's going to take? I mean, you need a solution to get there. And as I was telling earlier, electricity, it's a, it's not 100% reliable. Uh, you need a backup plan. And, and we're in an industry that sell local biomass, uh, and we burn out of it without emitting uh, carbon emission. 
I think it's it's something great. And we have new technology like pellet stove that are fully automated and you can control with an iPhone. For the new generation, I think those are two message very compliant. Yeah. Uh, and on top of that, uh, how the government will ask you to participating in, in that electrification, they will probably ask you to consume less electricity. How are you going to do that? you're going to consume less electricity when it's going to be freezing point so again the heart have the solution yeah it's the heart industry that have the solution so we shall be a partner and we shall talk about it because uh, we're going to gain time uh, and you know a lot of city now are talking about banning gas some of regulation around it and and this will go on uh, as long as we don't have a, a biofuel solution to replace gas and we know the biofuel they exist right now they're not cheap but they're going to get cheaper over time and we're going to produce more but on, until then what's the solution so i want to ask a question on that Th- that's that's really good and it, here's what makes me think about so where I live in Portland, Oregon, I would say for the companies that I've worked for, probably 80% or more of the sales are gas and not wood. And in some ways, it's really easy to become complacent to that because every house generally has natural gas to it. And natural gas is really easy because you can just sit on your couch watching Netflix and turn the remote on, turn it off. And I think that we, and I just say we, me in the past, have assumed that my customers do not want the inconvenience of dealing with biofuel. How would you say that retailers have been able to overcome that and and convince someone that, you know, in your case, they're not going to have the option of natural gas, but but they have electricity that is easy. They can turn it on, they can turn it off. How how have you been able to to show them the wisdom of changing their lifestyle to an appliance that you actually have to feed, you actually have to have fuel for? Um, the good thing is that it's not a burden that we have to carry along. There's so much talk about the, the climate crisis. There are so many people that want us to change that it's a movement that will, uh, that, that will be followed by politics, by a company offering green product. For example, if you want to buy a car, there's very, uh, good reason, uh, that have been built around the electric car. To make you consider one and maybe that two three years ago electric car was not an option for you but now you probably will at least consider well is it for me and and why because it's a whole industry behind it so politics is behind it the other industry are, are behind it and and us uh we have to decide if we want to be part of the problem or the solution you know i think we need to be transparent with the consumer yeah. uh there are some city that uh that have regulation around gas, some are banning gas, some plan to ban gas. If I sell you gas tomorrow, uh, here's what you're exposed to. Yeah. And and there's other solution, but you need to change the way you are operating your unit. It may change your lifestyle, it may be different. Uh, but then again, we have a, an industry that is very agile. I remember 20 years ago where we were selling mostly wood stove and, and gas unit were only very high efficiency gas fireplace that mimic very poorly a uh, fire. Yeah. Uh, 20 years later, we have a panoply of unit that, I mean, gas, pellet, wood, electric fireplace that are mesmerizing when you yeah. look at them, you know. 
so I think we, as an industry, we can be very agile and, and we need to understand that there's a place for every combustible. It's not, oh, it's gas or, oh, it's wood. No, for some person, a pellet unit make, make much more sense. Uh, in a living room, I like to have a wood fireplace. Will I put a wood fireplace in my bedroom? Probably not. Probably more gas. Uh, in my basement, maybe a pellet made more sense. Uh, so depending on the need, you don't need only one solution. Yeah. So it's interesting. I, I'm thinking about this. I would say that for many companies, at least in America, probably not quite as much in Canada, but but in the United States, there are there are many companies that have, you know, probably gotten pretty fat and happy on gas because it's it's easy. It doesn't take a lot of effort. And to sell a biomass product, that that does take some effort. And that takes you talking about about benefits and about the bigger the bigger issue of, of the climate and what are you know what are you doing to take responsibility and uh, that is more difficult so what i'm thinking about is i there seems to be a sales edge post electrification that the messaging is to take control of your energy right you know you got to take control of this electricity is going to be terrific until it's not and you got to take control. What are you going to do in those times when electricity is not there? We have this awesome solution that's gas, that's pellet. You know, this is a carbon neutral product that's going to be as efficient for your family and, and help, you know, save money on your bills and also use it when, when the power's out. That's a great message. And I, I think that idea of energy independence in many places of, of our industry, that's, that's not used in the sales presentation. But I, I, am I, am I understanding? I think that that's a pretty key part of what you offer. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, because power outage here in Quebec is something that every region sees at least once every year. I mean, uh, only a week ago, there was a big win in the Montreal area and there was 5,000 houses without electricity for about two days. And, and I mean, there won't be a lot of discussion about it in the, in the newspaper because it, it's part of being electrified, yeah. you know, it, it's normal. So we say, oh, poor, poor people, it's going to be fixed in two days. Yeah. But when you think about it and say, what if it were in February and it's minus something, something, and we're out of electricity for a day or two, uh, then you, you start thinking very differently and having a backup solution for your energy become very, very important. Well, yeah. And that, and that can be a matter of life and death, literally for people. Does the government offer subsidies for secondary or backup heat sources in, in, in Quebec and in any places? Uh, they did at some point in time, not, not right now, not the last few years. Yeah. There's all kind of solution. The government is taking control of the offering electricity to everyone. So if uh, there's a power outage, uh, it is their responsibility to find a way to heat you and, and make sure you don't die and people don't die about it. Yeah. Uh, does it work? Well, how much do you trust your government? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I'll I'll uh, I'll pass that question right now. But, but, I, but I understand what you're saying, though. I I totally understand what you're saying. Um, one thing I'm curious of is this. So I think that one of the hesitancies in the United States would be when we talk about electrification. Essentially, if you know, if if all these natural gas bans go through, and we lose, you know, and what for many companies is going to be fifty to eighty percent of their annual revenue. How do we make it up with biomass? 
And, and what's going to be next? When they take away gas, now are they going to take away wood? So for you, in your position, I would, I would imagine, like what, what percentage of your guys' portfolio is, is either natural gas or propane? I have to imagine it's pretty small compared to everything else that, that Covell offers. We probably sell around 40% of our product, our gas product. Oh, so still a, still uh, a, very, a very healthy amount. So, okay. So yeah, but, but it's going down this year. This year has been very strong on the wood. Okay. So I guess with that, so if electrification was to come and natural gas is either gone or it's, it's significantly reduced so that maybe it becomes 20% of your business instead of, you know, 60, yeah. 80%. How do you guys approach people going after wood burning? Are there times where you believe, no, like there actually should be an ordinance where we don't allow wood burning under these criteria? Or are you guys generally against ordinances that are prohibiting wood burning or pellet burning? Um, we're not against uh, because it's, again, it's cultural. Uh, Quebec compared to American, it's very a very social state, you know, we're a province with a lot of regulation and laws and we pay a lot of income tax. So we're a little bit like the Scandinavian country, yeah. you know, so it's a little bit different. So uh, they serve a purpose and they are an opportunity for us. Uh, the difference between a, a healthy and a unhealthy industry could be whether the regulation is adapted or not. So we'd rather be a partner than being an opposant. Yeah. Um, so in, in that sense, we, uh, we have good success and great failure. Montreal is an example of great failure. One day, Ban Wood Stove in 2009, it really had a big effect on the industry because we were selling a lot of gas in Montreal. It was a wood region. Then everyone were afraid that we're going to buy the wood everywhere in the province. So there was a big push toward gas. And then wood came back. And now they're talking about banning gas in 2025. So we see this year, a lot of people are coming back to wood. So we need to adapt ourselves constantly. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's not. And there is time where me and my dealer, we were sitting in in a room and we were scared. But it's not impossible. And the government, uh, they do with what they have, with what they know. Often the people that vote on regulation, they, they don't have a clue. Yeah. Uh, so that's why lobbying is so important. We need to educate them. We need to participate with them. And we need to offer them a solution that make them look good. If we just want to bang on their head saying, this doesn't make sense, then they, they won't be in favor of you. Uh, so as a businessman uh, dealing with, with dealers that are also business people, we understand the value of money. And when I offer a deal, a partnership, we're, t- we're thinking about how much money it's going to give us. When we deal with the government, it's not about the money. And what is it about? It, it, it depends. Who are you talking to? What is their incentive? What is a win for him or for her? So we need to think a little bit differently. We need them to be our partner and we need to understand what is their goal, what they're trying to achieve and help them achieve them. And if we can do that, we're going to be in a much better control of the situation. That's so wise. Again, I think that in the United States nationally, we have generally positioned ourselves against whatever agenda is being is being pushed forward regarding the climate and and i think that that's incredibly foolish because just from a practicality perspective you know you don't have time 
or resources to actually fight that battle. You know, you might, you might knock down a gas initiative in one town, but that's like squashing a fly and celebrating it when a tidal wave is coming, you know? So like, so just practically it's very foolish, but also again, if we break down what our industry offers is, is hopefully at its best, we offer alternative heating solutions that are good for both the people using them and the environment. Like that's, I think at its core, what, what our industry offers. And that's a message that is very much in line with the climate agenda. And like you said, if we position ourselves as just these antagonists and we're banging our fists and, you know, shaking pitchforks that, that doesn't make many regulators uh, very well inclined to deal with you. But if you can position yourself as an advocate and say, hey, we we want the same thing, which is a clean environment, and we might have some differences in how we want to get there, but we're on the same side. Let's talk about this and figure out how we can be a solution. I, I think that that's incredibly wise. Plus, when you're dealing with regulators, many of their motivations is that they need to look good for their voters and constituents, and, and how can you help them come up with a solution that's a win? And that, And again, I'm I'm speaking very idealistically that there are some people that have an agenda that they will push whatever it is, you know, they'll push it no matter what. And, and, and you have to learn to deal with that. But I guess what I'm saying is that when you shake your pitchforks, you know, you won't be heard when you come alongside, you've got a chance. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's good that you are idealistic and we need to be idealistic when we talk about our industry. Think about it for a minute. We are selling wireless heating technology that is green and can be automated. And you're promoting an incredible lifestyle with it. There's there's people that will love to have that pitch in their industry. And we, we have it. We're just not good at articulating it. Man, as you, I'm literally writing this down as you said that. That is brilliant. I mean, if you're saying to someone that's in an electrified society, I've got wireless heating that's green, it can be automated, and you are going to live an amazing life when you use it. That is a, that's really compelling marketing. And it's a true story. It's, it's not a lie. Exactly. Man, I, I love this. Okay. So I feel like I got to ask you just some kind of rapid fire you know, questions as we, as we go here. Um, so you're sitting on the other side of electrification. Can you talk to me about what what is your average hearth retailer's book of business look like that you would sell to? Like what kinds of products are they mostly selling? Um, in 2022, uh, probably more than half will be wood stove appliance. Uh, gas uh, will be, especially in urban area, gas still very strong, uh, probably 30 to 50%, depending on the dealer. Uh, and we do around six to eight percent of our sales in pellet. Uh, but there's a whole category that I haven't spoke and it's hard for me to give percentage, which is uh, the electric fireplace. The electric fireplace is uh, finally making a lot of ground. I say finally because they've been around for a long time, but they were mostly toy. They were not very that good looking. Now we're at a point where we have very high and expensive electric fireplace that we can make money selling and, and present ourselves as a specialist that have access to a, a unit that you won't find at a local hardware store uh, and, and you buy at the dealer and they're happy selling it. So this, this is a new market. I don't know what percentage of sales it's taking, but it's a growing opportunity. 
So, okay, next question is, you mentioned natural gas. So, Quebec largely has been electrified. So, is natural gas not banned? Or how does how does that work? Are there are there certain areas where natural gas has been banned? There's a lot of natural gas where there is a lot of industry uh, because uh, it takes way too much electricity for a big manufacturer to operate. So there's a lot of gas in industrial areas. So uh, a city like Montreal uh, that is very old and had a lot of development over the year, had gas for quite a while. And I'll say that probably half of the city have access to natural gas. So the suburb around Montreal had some of them have access to gas. For example, I'm in a small suburb. I do have access to gas in my home. I do have a gas fireplace and a wood and a pellet and an electric, but it's not the whole city that has gas. My area has it, but not the whole city. As you go further, there's no gas. It's mostly propane. Okay. So next question, next rapid fire question based on what you said. Why do you think that pellet is such a small percentage for most retailers? The pellet is uh, for many reasons. Uh, first of all, the technology we had a few years ago was young and probably not ready. So it was a kind of a niche market. Uh, there have been a time where getting pellet was difficult. Uh, I remember a few years ago, we had two pellet mill that took fire in Quebec and, and there was a, a big shortage of pellet. So a lot of dealer got out of that business at that time. And electricity is so cheap here that there's not really an advantage in eating with pellet. Maybe a slight, but it's, it's minimum. But now it's a growing opportunity change for, again, many reasons. The technology is much better. The pellet unit are quieter. They're beautiful. They have Wi-Fi kit. They're reliable. We really have a new generation of pellet unit that work very, very yeah. well. Uh, cost of electricity rising up, and we know the government announced it already. Uh, they're going to need more electricity, and and they're going to vary, vary the cost of electricity. So when it's going to be cold, it might cost more. Yeah. So it might be more appealing. And you know, the new generation, they're very comfortable with technology. So having a unit with yeah. uh, a computer doesn't scare them like my parent, yeah. if I were trying to sell them 10 years ago, a pellet unit could scare them. Yeah. Now someone who's 30 years old and won't scare them. Yeah. So, you know, new generation, uh, the fact that it's a green biomass, it's produced locally, it appealed to, to the environmental side of uh, people that are looking for more environmental solution. So there, there's a lot of advantage that were not there a few years ago. So I think pellet is uh, it's kind of an underdog in America. It doesn't have the place it deserves. I think it's going to grow yeah. significantly in the next few years. So final question that I have for you is that where where Quebec is, it's kind of a Goldilocks zone for electrification. And, and there's not many places like it that have access to hydropower in quite that same way and are able to provide it at scale. So if you were to speak to someone in our industry who's living in an area where that is is not easily attainable, but electrification is nonetheless being being pushed, how would you recommend they speak to legislators about our products being a gateway to electrification? Well, you're a legislator have a motivation to make electrification happen. 
we've talked about it earlier. That's how they're going to look good. They want this to happen. Now, how they're going to make it happen uh, if they're not able to provide enough electricity or soon enough? And what they're going to tell to people when people will say, well, maybe it's not reliable enough, maybe I'm not comfortable. Uh, if someone absolutely don't want electrification in his house, uh, what, what is the, the other solution you can offer him? So there's all kind of... Uh, of problem that those legislators need to fix in their speech before pushing electrification. And you really have that solution for them. And you can be part of the solution by showing them that, yeah, by having a backup system that the heart specialist can provide, it's not an issue anymore. And you can make electrification happen. Yeah. Well, Jean, this has been amazing. I, I really, really appreciate your perspective. And I mean, just the little bits of interaction I've had with, with you and folks at, at Coval, I'm just, I'm so impressed by how you're serving your community. And I think that you guys are just doing some really innovative stuff. So thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tim. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Jean-Francois. I thought that it was really eye-opening and cool to hear his perspective. And, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm trying to still sort my thoughts out on the issue, but I think that he makes a really, really good point in that in many ways it highlights kind of the laziness of our industry that for really decades, especially in the United States, we have leaned very, very heavily on gas to the detriment in many markets of wood and of pellet. But, you know, when you think about it, at the end of the day, what is it that we offer people? It's alternative fuel. And I think it's cool that in their market, they have found that when electrification comes, alternative fuel becomes really, really valuable. I think that regardless of where you fall on this issue, what really needs to change in the way that our industry approaches it is that we have to present ourselves as part of the solution. I think that in many cases, when our industry goes to lobby for different causes or against things, it's always presenting ourselves against the climate initiative. And it, it doesn't come alongside and say, we want to be part of the solution. And this is how we think it's best to do that. Oftentimes, it is black or white, all or nothing. And I don't think that that is the wisest approach. I think that, you know, in the United States, the electrification issue is not going away. It's just not. And the dollars and the steam that's behind it are going to continue to build and build and build. And so as an industry, we have to figure out what are we going to do to present ourselves as part of the solution and try to work from within to help that come to fruition in a way that's good and fair for everyone versus standing against it. Cause again, like, you know, you stand against a tidal wave and what's going to happen. One of the things for me, I've been thinking about this a lot lately and you know, in general, like I'm against the blanket forced electrification that, that I've seen in, in different parts of the United States. But, you know, listening to JF talk, I, what he says is very, very reasonable. And a resource that has really, really helped me lately is something that's called the Carbon Almanac. 
This is a resource that Seth Godin was actually a part of putting together. That's where I first heard about it. But it's literally an almanac that's put together by a myriad of authors from a myriad of countries that kind of gives the status of where our climate is and what the potential solutions are. And the whole thing in the book is that their goal is not to interpret, it's to present facts to connect people together and then to put them in a spot to take action. And full disclosure, I'm still in the middle of reading it, but it's just been really, really eye-opening on the impact that particularly folks in the United States have on the climate. And so regardless of how electrification plays out, you know, we should be thinking very hard about our impact because it is substantial compared to many people in the rest of the world. So with all of that in mind, there's a lot to think about, but I thought it would be really, really cool to have Jean-Francois on to talk about his perspective on how electrification has played out for their business and for their community in Quebec. Well, hey, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash it's fire time. And again, you know, I hope this conversation made you think. I'm really, really excited about the rest of the episodes that are coming up this season. We have a few more until we get to our Q&A episode. But if you want to send in a question for the upcoming Q&A episode, you can do that by just shooting me an email. My email address is tim at itsfiretime.com. That's tim at itsfiretime.com. Well, hey. I hope you guys have an amazing week. As always, I'm so thankful that you choose to listen to this podcast and I don't take it lightly that you do and I'm honored to be the host of it. So thanks a ton for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all in to burn in 